Welcome to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's On the Wing Podcast. Buckle up and ride shotgun as we cover everything you need to know about the uplands. The habitat. The hunting. And of course, your favorite bird dogs. All right, coming at you with pheasant being cooked in the background, which is foreshadowing to there are plenty of roosters in North Dakota. This is your Rooster Road Trip Episode 1 North Dakota edition for 2021, and the setting could not be better. Uh, we have every sense, um, the sense of smell with uh, pheasant being sautéed in the background. We look around, and there's all sorts of artwork in. We're in the home of Emily Spolier, our um, precision ag specialist in North Dakota. And photos and paintings that, uh, well, is fitting for Rooster Road Trip. This was once a, a pheasant hunting lodge, right, Emily? Yes, it was. Yep. A uh, few years ago, and now I get to call it home. That's awesome. And I see pheasant feathers. You've got dusky grouse feathers. You've got hun feathers, sage grouse. You've had a good year so far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, I've put a lot of miles on, um, but it's been a lot of fun. That not Not been so much about numbers as it has been about seeing new places and um, just getting to experience what it's like to pursue a new species. And it's always challenging, but a lot of fun. Well, thank you for having us in your home, taking over your kitchen, your living room, uh, cleaning birds in your driveway. (laughs) 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 And when Andrew makes an invitation to, hey, can you join us at a rooster road trip? You don't always know what you're getting in for, do you? Yeah, there's some fine print that's really, really small that I don't <laughs> that I try to not make people read, and it's, it's, so I can say it, it's there. I mean, this was always going to happen, but she just didn't know that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and Renee Tamala is on my left, and you've been cleaning birds, and and uh, you've been enlisted to help us guide us through North Dakota as well. Yeah, gosh, what a good couple of days wearing ourselves out. Yeah, with some fabulous bird numbers yeah it's, it's been a treat the past couple of days to have you guys out here the the only and we're going to talk about all the amazing things in north dakota there's there's only one negative it's too darn warm <laughs> right it's mid-october and we got we approached 80 degrees every day that we've been here um i know when i looked at the truck um we were at 76 uh, midday today. Yeah, I think we hit 74, 75 yesterday too. Yeah. And that might seem like a walk in the park, perfect temperature, unless you're a bird dog trying to bust cattails or, or a bob trying to bust cattails. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've uh, sweat through multiple layers that I did not intend to um, on this trip already. But it's, you know, the, the first thing, and we talked about this in the preview episode, um, the drought, right? It's been first and foremost on people's minds heading into this season. And there is a lot of, I mean, honestly, a lot of doom and gloom on the, the interwebs, people talking about bird numbers being down. Um, <laughs> uh, 
boy, if you haven't booked your trip to the Dakotas yet this year, and specifically North Dakota, because that's where we've finished the last two days, um, get on it. There are plenty of birds here. I mean, Renee, you've been out chasing sharptails, huns, um, and now pheasants. Um, it, it, you know, and I think to the spot, well, and we'll walk through the spots, but one, one spot in particular yesterday um, rivals any place uh, public land the number of birds I've ever seen anywhere. It, I mean, it, I, any idea how many birds we saw yesterday at the end of the day? You, you can't count. I don't think I can count that high. No, we're, we're, we're jumping the gun a little bit, but, yeah, we saw a lot of birds. <laughs> yeah. All right, so jumping the gun, let's jump back and start. Um, so we arrived in North Dakota um, Saturday evening, and we started on, on a Sunday morning. So first spot was a wildlife management area, and fittingly, the birds gave us the slip <laughs> in and around um, as we sort of stretched our legs out. Uh, we saw, I guess the first day we pulled up at before sunrise and we saw a flock of sharptails come over the horizon. And we knew it was a birdie piece of ground. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely looked birdie. The reason we ended up there, it's not as if Emily or Renee had this piece scouted out and it's like, oh, this is, we, we're going to be in the chips right away. Mm -hmm. Just like anyone else, it's like, well, we, th we think there's some birds down in this area. Uh, let's just meet at this WMA and, and, and see what happens. Um, so it was brand new to, to all of us. And when we, we parked the car, there was another group of hunters behind us, and their trucks just kept screaming down to, like, a different section. And that makes you go, like, oh, no, what do they know? Do we, do we pull off too soon? Like, are we in the wrong, like, chunk of this giant WMA? Hmm. Um, and once the sun started coming up, it looked a little sparse. Uh, it definitely portions of it for sparse. sure. Yeah. Um, you know, there were hedgerows and we knew there were trees on it and there were areas we could go um, key in. But you know, we, we took a quick lap and, and realized, OK, the thicker stuff's down in this little creek area. Let's just go walk these cattails. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty much foreshadowing for the rest of the trip almost, or at least a lot of it in terms of where we ended up finding birds. Because we did squeeze out a few hens mm -hmm. at the end of that initial creek walk. So we, we saw birds right away, and as mm -hmm. you said, we had sharp tails screaming over us before we were even hunting. Um, and then once we kicked out those those hens, we walked to we walked up a hill, and basically the group split into two. Mm -hmm. Basically, all the all the German dogs thought they're better <laughs> than everyone else, and, and so you guys you guys peeled off and we did and went a totally different direction um, than than Emily and I. Mm -hmm. And what do you guys see when you went over that hill? We went, we went towards a shelter belt um, because we saw birds boiling into the shelter belt as opposed to out of. Because, uh, like you said, there were hunters all around us, pretty much all points of the compass, uh, far off. You know, they're probably a mile off, but they were um, pushing birds around. And lots these, of shooting. There was lots of shooting around us, and, and again, probably, you know, at least a mile away, and birds were boiling to this secure cover this shelter and like tree groves and uh edge of a sunflower field and so we went in and you know as as the best laid plans they the birds foiled us because the, the plan was for me to go in with esky and sort of push the birds out of the uh, tree belt towards marissa and and renee 
and the birds did not want to cooperate with that idea because they boiled out the end and we didn't have anybody on the end because we were down to three and they blew out uh, the sunflowers although a couple of them doubled back so we tried to <laughs> we tried to double back on them and it just it was typical like kind of getting the the rust off figuring things out but you know the foreshadowing piece in my opinion from that is you know one of the things about rooster road trip is it, it tends to be a little bit bigger group sometimes and it's hard to coordinate and to be really effective hunters where we've had the most success on this trip in my opinion is when we have kind of broken into two and you know whether it's german dogs and english dogs we can debate <laughs> but, but it has been when we've sort of split into groups of three or four that things because you know it's I, a, I think our video production specialists have some words with us about that because that's making their lives a oh nightmare. sure it does um but yeah you're, you're right because you're, you're covering more ground that's i mean that's covering more ground but it's also you're a little more quiet and you can focus like trying to walk a line on these big chunks of property where the birds are getting up and moving around it it's it's a challenge mm-hmm. it's it's at least for me not how i normally hunt and it's a you know, you're always looking down the line and like you being safety first, um, but also then thinking, gosh, I really want to follow my dog that direction. And you keep, I keep calling my dog back and I know I'm peeling her away or whichever one away from, from birds. I don't know. Big walk about Bob. Like I, I, I have, don't see, I, I don't see you <laughs> calling your dog back. I, I have. No, we're, we're in a line and then zoom, <laughs> there, there goes Bob. <laughs> well, I, I am guilty of, uh following the dog <laughs> and going but i i have pulled back uh more than i would traditionally well so after the the, the first field no no birds in the bag you nope. t- you took one shot i believe i did i did i took a, a a right to left passer on a rooster that squirted one of those double back birds and double back again and gave us the slip but uh it it wasn't a shot that i it was a, it was out there, but you know, you don't hit anything you you don't squeeze a trigger at. So give it a shot. Yep. And then from there we went to a, a different WMA, mm-hmm. and when we pulled up, it was absolutely gorgeous. Um, you know, you had sunflower food mm-hmm. plots, you had hedgerows, you had windbreaks, you had water down, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in this little basin with surrounded by cattails. You know, I think I looked at you, Emily, and like I'm feeling pretty good about this section. Um, but I was anticipating finding birds on the edges between Mm. the grass and the sunflowers, but what we quickly realized and what we were going to see quite often throughout these two days is those cattails were loaded Mm -hmm. with pheasants, like just loaded, like just bubbling up way out ahead of us. And it's just like one of those, there are a ton of birds here. Mm Mm-hmm. I hope a couple of them will stick around for us because they're almost impossible to get to. Well, that I think we learned that because Quill, Renee's wire hair, and my Gitchy, my short hair, pulled us into those cattails. And they, right, because we were sort of walking together and our dogs went right to the cattails and then, then they weren't holding at all. And mm-hmm. they started bubbling over. And we're like, wow, there's a lot of birds kind of hunkered down in here so they must have already felt the pressure of hunting season a little bit yeah that was another spot that trucks were passing us Mm -hmm. as we were at the parking lot waiting to go in it was it was a busy place but yeah 
gosh, a lot of birds in the cattails. And we were making pretty lengthy walk down this, I think it was a creek, right? It was a cattail line creek. Pretty lengthy walk in Logan's lab, Aspen, went to the cattails, and that's when Gitchy went the other way towards the... Well, Emily, what do you remember what kind of field that was, the pick field? Was it wheat? I think it was just a wheat field, yep. And, and so Logan and I swapped spots because our dogs swapped places. So I followed the dog, Andrew. But you're still kind of in line. <laughs> well, once in a while. Debatable. Yeah. <laughs> I see where I'm guilty. <laughs> uh, well, that's when, that's when we, we had some action. And uh, uh, I'd love to be able to say <laughs> Gitchy locked up on a rock-solid point, but she didn't. She blew up a hen, and a rooster tried to escape out the back door, and and I, I made a, a successful shot on a rooster, and almost simultaneously, right after, um, Aspen, uh, Logan's dog, put up a rooster over the cattails. and um, we Made a nice water retrieve. Yep, we had two birds in the bag. And then uh, it was time for a, a tailgate lunch and, again, find some shade and mm-hmm. the hot, hot heat and let the temps dissipate a little bit for us. Um, and after that, we decided to change things up and, and leave the WMAs and, and head to the plots. Uh, and Emily was pretty confident that this particular piece would, would work out based on the, the recent planting. You want to kind of walk us through what we found on that plots property? Yeah, so I had hunted in that area. I was a little bit more familiar with the area we went to for the last part of the day versus kind of where we started. Um, And I know it wasn't necessarily my job to get you guys in front of birds or, you know, on birds, but um, I really enjoy seeing people be successful out here. Whether it's your first rooster or your hundredth rooster, I, I like helping people have a successful hunt and get birds in the bag. So I was pretty antsy to get to places I was more familiar with where I could um, kind of give a little bit clearer direction on what to expect and um, hopefully find a few more birds. But um, yeah, so we went up to a plots piece that was a new grass planting. Um, Those new grass plantings are typically really great for bird production and for holding birds the first couple of years. Uh, They're very weedy, usually planted with a nurse crop, so there's food and great cover right there for the birds. They don't really have much of a reason to leave, so it uh, it was a plan that actually came together pretty well (laughs) for us. (laughs) So was it planted this spring? Yes. Okay. Yep. It did come together, and it's so so well that you know, as Andrew is already, <laughs> I I went right for that plot site because that's so memorable from the experience. I mean, we had a great two days here, but yesterday on that plot's piece of ground, it's it'll be something that I remember forever. How many birds there were on that? Well, and I think what sticks out for me is, you know, it was a whole section of really excellent habitat so Mm -hmm. it wasn't just a small strip of good cover you know it was as about as far as we could see out in front of us was really good habitat where we were just watching birds fly out in the distance some fly close enough for shots and um (laughs) i mean we were just surrounded by Mm -hmm. really beautiful scenery and lots of birds oh yeah it was an absolutely gorgeous way to to end our, our day just at that piece 
Um, it had a, a huge meandering creek that you know, crisscrossed you know, throughout it, and I know that because it had steep banks, and Emily made me cross it at least 15 times. I don't know <laughs> if I had to, but she like was like, no, we're going to go this way just to make me do it enough times where I eventually split my pants wide open. Like <laughs> It was like that type of hiking, so it was pretty extreme. Um, but you're, you're absolutely right when you said earlier, it might be the most birds I've ever seen on a publicly accessible mm-hmm. piece of land. And there and were other hunters there too. There were other hunters around and, you know, it was just, you were praying a couple would hold mm-hmm. like, like, cause in the distance, you almost became numb to these waves of like 50 birds just mm-hmm. getting up in the distance. And when that stops making you go, oh my goodness, mm-hmm. like that's when you know, you're just like surrounded by it. Um, so that was just an overall, just amazing experience in a beautiful setting, um, with active habitat management going on. It's just like, everything was just coming together and we were able to knock down a few birds there. Yeah. It was, it was the perfect golden hour hunt that you dream about in the, you know, in the spring and summer as you're waiting for season to get here. I mean, it was just perfect light. And like you say, there were a lot of birds that weren't holding, but the ones that were, were really, really fun. And there were enough to keep everybody in the action. Um, plots, I mean, that's, so plots for people that don't know, private land open to sportsmen, right? Mm-hmm. So um, plots is something, Renee, you moved here from Minnesota. Mm-hmm. I know that plots property really means a lot to you in North, as a North Dakotan now. Yeah, so here in North Dakota, we have about 800,000 acres of publicly accessible land that private landowners turn over to us to enjoy as sportsmen and to take care of. But the, uh, the, the quality of plots land here, you, you can tire yourself out for, you couldn't do it all in a season. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. And to have that accessible to you to tire yourself and your bird dog out on is 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 incredible when you don't have land yourself and it is good habitat Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of quality acres out there and the game and fish does a fantastic job at looking at those quality habitats of all different types and uh and we have a really robust program that I'm really fortunate. I, I hunt a lot of plots land, even as a resident, but it's for non-resident folks as well. And it's yeah. a beautiful thing. It really is. You talk about the, that number of acres and it is remarkable. And it, it's a good reminder of the importance of, you know, why Pheasants Forever exists and, you know, creating habitat and fighting for the farm bill because plots for a lot of folks, plots are CRP lands that a private landowner owns they get paid a rental payment to be a part of CRP, but then they get paid a, a payment from North Dakota Game Fish and Parks to open it up for access. And that brings in tourism dollars, and people are spending money in the hotels. And it, the hotel where we're staying at, I mean, it, it's sort of old home week every night when you come back to the parking lot. It's like, you know, Washington plates, Idaho plates, Utah plates, Minnesota plates, how'd y'all do today? And it is so right. And we've, we've had great conversations. We talked about, uh, in the preview with, with the gentleman and his partner from, from drove here from Washington. Yep. And we, we, another guy 
uh, from Kansas who's got a ring neck related vanity license plate. And we yep. talk to him every night that we've come back. And you know that they're coming to southwest North Dakota because of plots, because of WMAs and, you know, ultimately pheasants. And they are here. The pheasants are here. And you add sharp tails and hunts to the mix. And, um, you know, that's that's one thing that I wanted to ask both of you, Emily and, and, and Renee. And we'll start with Emily. You know, you're, you're a native Michigander. Renee's a native Minnesotan. Um, you call North Dakota home. What's... Uh, what what has made North Dakota stick for you uh, in terms of, you know, you, you clearly have embraced this outdoor lifestyle. Um, you live in a old pheasant lodge, right? It, it, this is, and you just smile ear to ear. <laughs> uh, you got three bird dogs running around. Um, this this fits you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, gosh, it's it's hard to to pin it on one thing in particular that has kept me here in North Dakota. Um, but I think just, just the, the opportunities that I have literally out my back door. Mm -hmm. Now I can step out my back door 50 yards and start hunting pheasants. (laughs) Um, and I, I mean, I don't know how you beat that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, and, and like the, the WPA we hunted this evening, um, it's two miles away from my front door mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm just surrounded by the heart of pheasant country. Mm. And, um, it's, like I said, it's, it's pretty tough to beat that, but not just, not just the pheasants, the sharp tail and the huns and, mm. and the, the deer hunting and, you know, everything that's out here, the grasslands, the little Missouri national grasslands, it's over a million acres of grassland habitat. And, um, one of my favorite things is just going out there for a weekend and, and just roaming around and not even hardly having to check and look on Onyx and Mm. see if I'm on private land because you're just surrounded by so many acres of grasslands that, uh, you know, it's, it's just kind of in the back of your mind is something that's not a a big concern because there's so much public land out there. Mm -hmm. In the sunsets over that butte on the Western horizon, Mm -hmm. that's, that's pretty special, isn't it? Yes. Yep. Yeah, I get to sit on my back porch and watch the sunrise and set over those buttes. And way off in the distance, you can see the, the giant metal pheasant statues <laughs> off the Enchanted Highway. Mm. Um, but no, it's, it's, a, it's a very special place to be. How long have you been in North Dakota now, Renee? I think I've been here for five, six, five, six years already. All right. And you live in Bismarck, mm-hmm. and, and it's it's been home for you now, too. It is. So we talked earlier about uh, Minnesota versus North Dakota, and I will uh, openly admit that I miss my clean blue lakes and my trees a lot, but <laughs> there's just so much to love about the prairie and so much to love about North Dakota, and I'll, I'll echo Emily's comments about just the opportunity. I mean... At five o'clock, I can shut my laptop and load Quill up, and within a half an hour, we're flushing a, a covey of sharptail, mm. and it's that is not something that I take for granted, and it's it's just 
It's wonderful. You can do so much out here. And just for the hunting opportunity alone, I, I call North Dakota home. So Pheasants Forever has some really cool things happening in the state of North Dakota. One thing, if you follow, um, throw out the Instagram handle for, for North Dakota. North Dakota PF on all platforms. You okay. can find us. It, it, you guys post a lot about um, there's a woman's chapter based in Bismarck, Women on the Wing. Um, t- tell us about that chapter. The Lady Birds, my capital city, Lady Birds. They have been a chapter for about three years now and have really started to hit their stride. It's been fun to watch them start to hold an annual uh, wing shooting clinic and fundraise and turn around and spend those dollars on habitat and mm. getting more women involved and families with hike for habitat days and uh, just engaging families in the community out in the outdoors and building this really strong network and community of outdoors women that have become lifelong friends. I have some of my very best friends within that chapter now and it's it's that network alone that community is vibrant and it's strong and it's just it's growing that's cool mm-hmm. and emily you work at precision ag and we just published a, a story in the journal about how um a tweet that you put out there into the twitter sphere <laughs> resulted in in a, a whole bunch of plots land getting signed up Um, Tell us about Precision Ag and what you do in that role uh, here in North Dakota. Yeah, so the PLOTS program fits really well with our Precision Ag and Conservation work um, for a couple of reasons. So the basis of our Precision Ag and Conservation work is working with farmers and landowners to target areas specifically where they have lower yielding cropland Mm -hmm. and put those acres back into some type of perennial cover. this does a lot of great things for their farm in terms of their efficiency and profitability. But most importantly for us, it does great things for the birds, mm. uh, soil health, all the other critters out there. Um, so with the PLOTS program, you know, earlier you had mentioned how you compare it with CRP. Mm-hmm. But it's it's more than that as well. So sure. the Game and Fish Department doesn't just piggyback with CRP. They're also putting their own habitat out on the ground and um, their biologists do an excellent job of talking about uh, kind of the the thinking behind our precision ag work, pairing me with those landowners when opportunities arise, and, um, you know, not just focusing on, of course, we want all the, the large expanses of grasslands planted that we can get, but also taking those smaller acres and ha- letting them build upon each other. Mm-hmm. Um and, and allowing landowners to take advantage of those opportunities so that, you know, we're, we're kind of slowly chipping away at things. Mm-hmm. But, but it does add up to make a big difference. Um, the biologist specifically in this area, um, Jaden Honeyman and, and Ryan Oberhelman, they do an excellent job. They're both avid hunters, especially bird hunters. Um, and that's really reflected in the work that they do out here. But to go back to that project in particular that you were talking about, um, yeah, so so Twitter, there's a lot of farmers and agronomists on Twitter, which is something that I didn't really realize until starting this job. <laughs> um, but it's been an excellent way to connect with people. And actually, I, I have tried to keep a tally, and about a third of the impacted acres I've 
had a hand in have come from Twitter connections. No kidding. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. remarkable, really. Yeah. So between cover crops and perennial cover, hmm. um, about a third of the stuff I've worked on has come from Twitter connections. But so that that plots project, um, I connected with an agronomist who connected me with a couple of his growers, and one of them happened to be a pretty large grower, which is a big deal for an agronomist to connect mm-hmm. someone like me who works for a conservation organization with what's likely one of the biggest growers that they work with. Okay. And um, the agronomist, it was two brothers and they're both avid hunters. And so they enjoy the plots program and they are Pheasants Forever members. And um, so they really resonated with our precision ag and conservation work. I mean, it fit perfectly with, you know, their professional life and their hobbies. Mm-hmm. And so they connected me with these growers and um, the, the one grower connection resulted in um, just over 7,100 acres of plots. Wow. Um, so that was 5,800 acres of new, newly enrolled plots ground, um, 1,200 re-enrolled, and then it included 344 new perennial cover acres. So. And Twitter was the catalyst. Twitter was the catalyst. Take yes. that, Andrew Vavra. <laughs> yeah, you can have your Twitter. <laughs> I'll, I'll stay away from it. It's all yours. <laughs> Emily, you can have it. Bob, it's all yours. I'll stay out of it. That's fine. <laughs> if somebody wanted to learn more and connect with you on Twitter, Emily, how do they connect? So you can connect with our North Dakota Pheasants Forever page, or you can connect with me personally just by searching my handle of eSpoliar. Um, I try to make myself pretty easy to find so um but but in that project too you know none of the projects that i work on are things that i do single-handedly between the cooperating landowners and the partners that Mm -hmm. we're fortunate to have in the state um on that plots project specifically uh levi jacobson was the was the private lands biologist that i worked with and and i mean he did some phenomenal work getting that project pushed through and, and getting all the ducks in a row that he needed to, to enroll a project that big, because that's, you know, that's not exactly easy to, to line everything up to where he's got the funding available when he needs it available and, and the planning that goes in behind that and the mapping the properties and the signing the properties. And, Hmm. um, I mean, he genuinely did the brunt of the work and I was just fortunate to, um, play a small role mostly on Twitter. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's pretty awesome. That's a lot of acres from, you know, ultimately for one tweet to be mm-hmm. the catalyst to that many acres being opened up for public access. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, I'm not sure I'm going to remember the number now, but we we had figured out at one point how what tweet rate she was going at. So I had her tweeting at a rate of 70 acres per tweet or something <laughs> like that at one point we, we did the math at one point yeah i love how she looked at me when she <laughs> said it like 70 acres per tweet what are you doing on oh, no. i don't know if it was that high but um you know just trying to encourage people to to realize that there's there's lots of ways to get connected mm-hmm. with people who care about getting good habitat on the ground. And it's not just sitting in an office and waiting for someone to walk through your door. Sure. It's actively engaging with people on multiple different social media platforms. And you know that Bob, you you're engaging with people on social media all the time. Um, you know, there's lots of ways we can reach people and we shouldn't count anything out. Okay. We're going to stop this episode of on the wing podcast right here. 
Don't worry, we're going to continue it next week, but we're going to stop the first leg of uh, the North Dakota um, component of the Rooster Road Trip right here and ask you, the listener, to go to roosterroadtrip.org to see the companion video that goes with this podcast for the first day of Rooster Road Trip in North Dakota. While you're at roosterroadtrip.org, be sure to sign up to win the Browning Maxis II shotgun. And please join Pheasants Forever or renew your Pheasants Forever membership on the Rooster Road Trip page. We've got a killer collaborative uh, field knife with Browning that uh, will be your gift for joining or renewing if you do it on the Rooster Road Trip page specifically. Um, also want to thank um, South Dakota Tourism for being sponsor of On the Wing podcast. There's still plenty of time for you to plan your own South Dakota adventure in pheasant hunting heaven. Find places to stay and season information at huntthegreatest.com. And thank you also to all of our Rooster Road Trip partners, Browning Shotguns and Apparel, Thoroughgood Boots, Sound Gear Hearing Protection, Roughland Kennels, Federal Premium Ammunition, Garmin Electronic Dog Training Systems, South Dakota Tourism, once again, a national sponsor and big partner in our efforts, and Apple Autos, the supplier of the Rooster Road Trip Truck. Thanks for listening to this episode, the first leg of the North Dakota component of Rooster Road Trip. We'll be back next week, and we'll finish off this particular episode of Rooster Road Trip through North Dakota 2021. In the meantime, always follow the dog. Something good will rise. Thanks for listening.